Welcome. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a podcast constructed to enrich our tech community by connecting some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I am Christopher Asbridge, and I help connect businesses with talented freelancers, and I will be your host. So welcome everybody and to another uh, Evolution Exchange podcast. Um, this day we're going to talk about companies of the future. I have a brilliant uh, lineup. I've got Anna, Dan and Mateus. Um, we're going to speak about how the companies of the future are going to change and what's going to upcoming. Pretty exciting. Um, but before we go into a bit more detail, what we'll do is we'll go around the table and just do general introductions so everyone knows who everyone is. And um, so, Mateusz, do you mind um, telling a bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, hello, welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Mateusz Jerzewski and uh, I am uh, working in Electrolux uh, as a head of uh, CX product, as part of uh, the product teams organization that we're running in order to, to drive the uh, consumer-centric transformation that Electrolux is uh, uh, going through. Um, and I also have a position of uh, uh, IT uh, solutions uh, manager in peace of mind area. And peace of mind is uh, something that we as Electrolux also want to embrace uh, and, and give our consumers uh, when they own our appliance. Um, and, uh, and we want to give them all the best personalized offers and the best uh, services uh, that, uh, that they deserve. Uh, I'm uh, originally coming from Poland moving to, to Stockholm uh, seven years ago, and since then working with Electrolux. Okay, thank you, thank you so much. And let's move on to Anna. Hi, I'm uh, Anna Karin Westerberg, or AK is usually what people call me in English, since Anna is a completely different name. Um, I'm a software engineer and um, a leader, I guess, in this uh, context. And my background is that I actually spent so many years, too many, I think, according to my parents, traveling, like working my way from country to country. So I've been doing lots of weird stuff, like landscaping, uh, content manager for a skincare um, company that based their products on snail slime. I was a journalist before I found my way into tech, actually only as a way to be able to keep traveling and still you know, become a little bit more adult. I've also lived in Stockholm for about almost seven years this summer, and I worked at Ericsson. That was my first job. I've been to different companies like um, Spotify, Weezer Studios, Fishbrain, Settled by PayPal, Adlibris as well. And about three years ago, I, me, I and Martin Holstein, we started a company called Because Mondays, where our goal is actually to experiment around the companies of tomorrow where we really want to put people first and see what can you do to still excel. And when I'm not doing that, working in Because Mondays, I um, I do freelancing gigs. So currently I'm at Spotify working as an engineering manager. Yeah. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. And last but not least, Dan. Hi, I'm Dan McNeil. Um, I'm head of engineering at iTech Media at the moment. I started off as a C++ developer back back in the, the midst of times. I did a maths degree and then became a software developer software developer and it became obvious to me that I was never going to be the world's best developer and I found myself drawn more towards coordination tasks and then management tasks and leadership tasks and I've been kind of leader of software teams for 15, 17 years, something like that now. Um, I've been through all sorts of industries. I would say I did my growing up in my career in the mobile industry. So I worked for Symbian for the best part of 10 years for those people who remember that OS before Android and iOS took over everything. 
Um, but I've also been through fintech and gaming and um, telecoms assurance software and all sorts of things. Um, outside of work, you'll usually find me reading a book. Um, I spend almost all my time buried in books, which is the habit I got from my mother. <laughs> uh, sounds good. Okay, thank you so much for everyone for the little introduction. Now we've all understood a sort of context of each other. Let's move to the topic of focus. Um, obviously, we're all here to talk about companies of the future. So what we'll do, we'll move around the room, go through everyone's question. Um, standard procedure, really. Um, AK, sorry for getting your name wrong there. <laughs> common British habit, telling you. Um, absolutely terrible at it. Um, we'll start with yourself. Now, you came to me with a question, a bit of a, bit of a side question. Um, so the first one was, what are the pros and cons about structuring companies like Starfish instead of Spiders? Basically, go, going into this decentralized versus centralized orgs. While your side question was again pretty similar to it, where he goes into um, what can learn from open source community and how we can build that in the future. Now, this is your time to shine. T t tell me what we'd like to know, what, what would you like to learn? The reason why I asked this question is because I see companies moving from a stable organization where you're optimized around actually like perfection. You want the production to smooth, to flow smoothly. You want people to know exactly what to do and what like, what are we striving for here at every moment? But like times are changing and we need to be more adaptable now than ever before. And like the temp, the pace at which you need to be even more adaptable is always increasing. So that's really where I started thinking about decentralization as a way to like drive this, like meet this change and pushing power to the person actually like building, like in, in tech companies, building stuff or like delivering value to the customer. So doing this change, like towards decentralized organizations where you don't have a manager or like levels of managers telling people how to do things and what to do at every specific moment, making decisions. Like there are lots of difficulties surrounding this question so that's where my <laughs> where my question came from it's like what is what are your experiences with decentralized versus centralized and what are the pros and cons like from your industries but also like just your experiences i i can uh, i can answer from from my perspective and and um i think uh, that that's a really really great question and, and a great challenge for companies of the future because uh, the tendency that is usually coming up with with uh, big companies or the companies that get scale, that more and more you you get this kind of uh, structural governance and and um, this um, kind of ideal thinking that that things will flow through the pipeline and and the common prioritization of with the defined roles and responsibilities. From from uh, my experiences with with trying to to also introduce different types of uh, agile governance and ways of working in Electrolux. I see that um, uh, this could work uh, really well if if this is really well defined and people are engaged on on that model. Uh, but but also I see the tendency of, of sometimes that the, the the alignment and the, the the overhead is actually taking more time and more energy than uh, than actually doing the work. So so probably it's all about the the balance and and if you define that there is uh, some some area even in a big company where where you need to strive for for more innovation, more speed, more uh, pressure on time to market, it usually proves more effective to actually formulate a, a dedicated small team uh, that that has a specific agenda, is delivering on that agenda, showing continuously the the, the outcomes of proof of concepts, etc. Uh, and then you can embed it into, let's say, the bigger governance once you prove that it's working. Because sometimes 
if something is so small and and you you try to to have the go the governance already at the first stage of ideation uh, then you're usually slowing it down and and losing the the engagement so so i guess that would be kind of ideal model that that uh, you have different stages of, of maturity and uh, if uh, if uh, some um, innovative idea proves to 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 be working and it needs to be embedded later on with, with the bigger governance and the end-to-end -end process that's the right moment to do it but at the beginning it's really good to to give the freedom to the team and and uh, thinking about people's perspective, uh, people who are empowered with clear agenda, clear, exciting goal, they would probably deliver much better than in in being just let's say one one part of the bigger uh, bigger structure. So, I totally buy into this idea of of starfish uh, organization, and uh, and I'm really uh, really excited to to see it more on the market as well and and see how this proves uh, useful. Cool. Yeah. For me, it's a it's a it's a discussion that's been around in pretty much every company I've ever been in in the engineering team because you have this this desire for individual teams to have autonomy and make interesting decisions and do interesting things, but at the same time, every engineering team seems to have an almost pathological hatred of doing the same thing twice, and so you tend to end up with an organisation where companies start off doing things in small teams, they then realise there's commonality. They start sharing stuff. That commonality becomes a central team. And then that central team becomes kind of the coordinator and you put yourself back into a centralized centralized model. And I, I've always been in favor of the Starfish model. I've always been in favor of empowering teams and allowing them to do their own thing at their own pace, at their own destiny. But I think that in order to make it work, you need to ensure that those teams have really, really good communication with each other. Mm. Um, you know, if, if the five points of a Starfish can all move independently, if they don't agree which way to go, the Starfish is going to die because it's not going to find any food so you do need some some way of having consistency of purpose consistency of direction but i don't think that needs to be the command and control central central brain i think the, the other thing is that um there are other functions than engineering at play there's things such as the hr function there's the legal function there's the finance function there's all these things that actually when we create self-sufficient teams there are some things that it just doesn't make sense of scale to include so if you've got a, a, a squad of eight people working on a product it wouldn't make sense to give them an hr partner and a finance partner which means that there will always necessarily be some functions that are centralized and probably quite rightly so for me the balance is how can we create the model where the teams can do interesting things but how can we also ensure that where it makes sense they share stuff and i've always seen that as being you anything you do which is interesting and potentially reusable you advertise you make it as reusable as possible and you try to incentivize those teams to collaborate by making collaboration the easiest path so you don't have this central brain mandating you must use this technology you must do this thing you just make it like a lending library where it's much easier to go in and get a book because it's there on the shelf and it's exactly what you want and you take it and you use it um but i i believe that absolutely the future is moving towards more of a starfish model um and i think it's just we're seeing some pains getting there because it's not historically what's happened i think that is it's so interesting to also then compare it like Matthias, what you lifted up as like the overhead, 
you know, we want to empower teams, but then we tend to get this overhead of planning, of aligning before we can go and do independent work. Whereas then, it seems like you mentioned then, if we can, if the overhead needs to be there, it should be on uh, the, defining the purpose, like what is the direction we jointly want to go towards, and then establish clear processes for communication, like making collaboration flow more easily. So it's still like we, we it seems like we need to be prepared to pave with some overhead, but mm. let's make that overhead really worth it instead mm. of what we see now as sort of like it's just a cost and pain and it all mm. these quarterly planning meetings. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, now we, we have this uh, actually um, exact experience in Electrolux where we actually decided a few years back to to set up uh, like a spin-off startup company. It's called Nexture, uh, which has exactly this this um, goal of of uh, developing the the, the aftermarket um, uh, proposition for for our consumers with extended warranties, subscriptions, maintenance plans, and and all all those peace of mind services that, that I mentioned. It's the the name of of um, of the product line, how, how we use it. And, and I think there it's really clear that this, this purpose is, is driving the small group of people towards, uh, towards the, uh, the, the common goal. There is a small team of developers as well, uh, led through, through, through very, very good leadership uh, to, to develop that. And then once once uh, certain services are quite mature and they are adapted with the consumers, uh, etc., then we look into how to embed it into overall um, architecture of the whole, let's say, consumer experience area, how to link it with the processes that we have on the websites, in the contact centers, etc. But it's it's really important to have this this first ideation uh, phase, and then to embed it to, to to bigger processes because then then it's also always slowing down because then then we are going exactly to this quarterly product increment planning, and and then all the things need to be prioritized and and planned properly. Uh, but first, we need to know that this is worth doing. Yeah? We need to know that this uh, small innovation is, is bringing the value and it makes sense to embed it into the end-to-end -end, uh, uh, process. And we have experienced multiple uh, projects like that or, or setups like that. Sometimes it's a bit difficult later on to, to, to include it into this end-to-end -end governance. So, so then you, to, you need to spend some more time how to embed uh, a small group of people into the bigger process, but I think it's it's worth it. Um, and I'm thinking from the mar Swedish market, I know that uh, SCB is also having similar setup. There's CBA, CB uh, X, uh, which is also kind of a, a startup spin-off that they are also working on innovation pro uh, projects. So you could see that it's 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 a trend coming up, and and uh, and uh, the different companies they see the the, the value in doing that. Uh, so so I I think that could be really embedded into the the future business models uh, of companies um, going forward. I think you said a very interesting thing there, um, which I'll kind of extrapolate on a bit, which is I think measuring the success of these autonomous teams is key, and if you have a business that has multiple products it's quite easy to spin up a team around a product because you can measure the success of a product because you can just, how many people are using it, how many people are buying mm. it. Um, I think it gets tougher when you have a very large product which can't be broken down mm. to create these autonomous teams because they're all after a common goal and sure you can track that goal, but how do you measure the contribution of each of the teams towards that goal? And one thing we've found absolutely key is when you create an autonomous team is to create a North Star metric for that team. 
So what is the one thing that that team is seeking to move the needle on? And it doesn't have to be, you know, sales or visitors to a website or whatever. Um, but if you don't have that, it becomes very hard to, to stop a team drifting. And I, I also think that that is sort of connecting to like, you know, a habit or what we have, like, you know, what muscles have we practiced until now? You know, like before we compare like industrialization where it was more like factory lines and we work a certain way. And now we're starting to explore like, okay, there are different ways we need to organize ourselves. And the same way with people, it's like, I think we're very used to being led. So present the team with like that open space and like, okay, use your brilliant minds, you know, use each other's perspectives, like go create. And it's, I still meet sometimes this expectation on like, yeah, but where? Because if you don't have, if you haven't established that North Star, that is like speaking itself, it's like carrying itself its own story. Like you shouldn't be the manager to say like, that was a good thing, or this is the right thing to do. It's like the North Star, the whole team should be able to evaluate, are we getting closer, further away to, to the goal? Because that's where I feel that when I haven't done a good enough job there on establishing the goal, that's when I find it sort of but stop asking me, you know, like I'm just on the sideline here. And it's because like, yeah, but what else? Like then the manager becomes a sort of fallback on the goal isn't clear. Tell us where to go. Yeah, That's absolutely something we found and I've found in previous places. You create these autonomous teams. Everybody's very excited because you go, right, set your own roadmap, set your own purpose, off you go. And everybody just metaphorically sits there going, oh, I'm kind of used to somebody telling me what to do. I don't yeah. quite know what to do now. Mm. Yeah. And this, I think, actually is a perfect segue to my second question, if that's okay, Christopher, if I just... Yeah, just go. got about five, five minutes. Ah, we'll take, so. sorry. Perfect. So, because then, you know, the open source community, like, that's where I tend to look in exploring this question. It's like, how loose can you go? Because there are no managers. There is nobody setting up a prioritized roadmap or a yearly goal. It's like communities that drive their own agenda. How does this happen? And like, what is working? What can we learn? What do you think will be, I mean, like Dan mentioned, you have the growing pains of a company. Not all functions uh, fit to fit in an autonomous team. Mm. So what can we copy or learn, be inspired by from the open source community? I, I, I think that, one thing we can definitely do is this idea I mentioned earlier of teams making stuff available where it's useful for other people that doesn't have to, and also extending that to say and if you can think of an improvement to what we've done feel free to change the code we'll you know maybe the the owner reviews that code to have some governance around it or maybe they don't maybe it just evolves I think for me though one thing that's happened in open source is if you look at open source licenses, they don't all fit this kind of idyllic dream of everybody just using everything and contributing and it's all free because you do see control spinning up. You do see things like copyleft coming in. You do see restrictions over what you can do with the source code and what you can, can't do with it. And so I wonder whether the same thing might happen internally when the company got big enough because I think it's a great idea 
that we just make this stuff free and everybody can use it. But in reality, are people a little bit predisposed to want a little bit more control than that? Yeah. No, I, I agree. And and I think uh, one one thing that we definitely can learn from from the open source community is is this engagement. Because you don't work on open source if you're not really committed to the cause or or you you don't think that your your time is worth spending there. So usually I think the the, the engagement that we're discussing uh, between the, the the starfish model and more traditional models, I think in open source you, you see this engagement being there and and commitment to the cause and commitment to the to the problem. Then of course when it becomes bigger and becomes commercialized, then, then it's always getting more difficult on the way. But I think that that's if if you ask what we can learn, I think it's the engagement and the belief in 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 the cause. That that is something that is always very very evident and and very um, yeah energetic uh, from 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 the side of open source communities. Yeah, I I sometimes feel when I think about this that oh it's I'm getting close to like ideal land, you know, like oh but this will never happen. I feel like a great sense of trust will be needed for open source to really work in society. And when mm. we start to get to that trust, when it's also for companies associated with their, their livelihood, I mm. think that that need we have for control becomes spiraled by even more. Like now we have salaries to pay out. How much should we trust that everyone will just contribute and you know make things better? So mm. that's what, how I want to attack it is by like, what can we do to foster trust between people? between mm. teams, between companies, like see partnerships instead of competition. Mm. So that's, yeah, but it's an interesting topic. Mm. Okay, fantastic. I know everyone's had a, had a chance to speak there, AK. Did that sort of answer the question overall, what you wanted to hear? Yes, and I think like I got a really good part from the second, you know, for the second question from Dan, when he said that make stuff easy to, make it easier to collaborate than to sort of compete. If mm. we had that is what I'm going to like bring with me to like, you know, the plannings. It should be so easy to just go like get stuff from the other teams that that's what I'm going to try first. Mm. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Well, that went really well for you there. And mm. um, what we'll do when we move on to the next person, Matthias, um, come to you next, my friend. Um, now, <clears throat> it's very similar to AK, you came with two questions. The main one we, we're going to discuss is what will be the new purpose for companies of the future, different than the old goal of economic growth? And your sort of side question on transparency to that was what will be the three types of new jobs that are not popular today? Really cool question. Um, feel free to explain a bit more for us. Great. Thanks. Uh, yes, when I was uh, thinking about a good topic for for uh, for this podcast on companies of the future, I, I was uh, starting to think, uh, yeah, a bit futuristic as well, looking ahead, uh, and and more from from uh, not only let's say the daily ways of working, but more from from strategic purpose uh, point of view. Uh, and uh, I think there's quite uh, a lot of uh, really inspiring uh, literature uh, about it as well that is that is um, around global economics, but also touching upon uh, you know the companies that we that we work with uh, every day. Uh, and the question that I brought is about what would be this this new kind of purpose for the companies. Um, and I mainly got got inspired by uh, by Daniel Cohen's book, the the Infinite Desire for Growth which uh, actually made me think uh, that that uh, traditionally the companies are always striving for for more and more uh, revenue profits right those, those kind of goals 
but already now we see that the 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 switch and I'd like to hear your thoughts as well what is what is let's say the new new focus areas for the companies where they they understand that growth is not all right that that uh, we need to care about the the, the climate uh, goals as well about sustainability but also looking more insights into the companies about the people because the people make the make the companies uh, and and their well-being and and happiness and engagement is is uh, key to to success so uh, that's where i would like to open up uh, if not growth then what do you think could be this this goal of the companies of the future so i think that a lot and this again now i'm going towards ideal land but yeah. i think that it it, I hope it will be about adding value to your society so that if a company has a purpose and there, there's a need for what, whatever they create, to structure it in a way that how can we have the most positive impact on our like both direct and indirect society by not focusing only on revenue on, or growth, but we are a sound, sustainable uh, company, we can have a result because that's needed to like grow this company, to invest in development improvements, and also take care of your employees, create work so that it's like its own little ecosystem. And I think that by providing that value as what you're actually building, so then you're like filling a gap of need, but also consider also this, like, am I making society better than it was before I existed? That that those two together, I think will then like make it a good place to work because they need the people. And also that will bring, you know, the customer value at the end so that they will get their the money. You can never ignore the money, but I don't think it should be the start of things. Mm. Yeah, I think it, again, thinking in the ideal, I think, you're absolutely right. We can't ignore the money. And money is by far the easiest way to quantify success. And I don't like it. I don't like it. But, you know, as people, we like to do nice things. We like to have nice things, whatever those things are for you, whether, you know, going exploring or having a nice car, or having a nice house. And we've tokenized money as the thing we have decided is the thing we exchange in order for, you know, I add value to the economy by doing this piece of work. That is reflected in the value of a business and you pay me some money, which you also got for adding value. And, we, and so for me, I'm not sure that we can ever move away from a world where businesses publish figures and a successful business one is one that's seen to be doing more with money. I mean, even if you look at, at charities, they measure themselves on how much have they raised and how much have they spent on making things better. Mm. For me, what I'm seeing happen is that companies are becoming more conscious of the harm they do in making that money. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily about not making the money. It's about making the money in a way which doesn't damage the climate, which doesn't damage the environment, which doesn't hurt people, which doesn't exploit people in other parts of the world. And that's where I think that the, for me, that's what I can see becoming more important. And one of the pieces of evidence I see is that actually people think about that now with who they do business with and who they work for people look at what is the sustainability of the business what industry are you in and i found that i've been in industries which you know i've been in the gaming industry which some people don't want to work in that's fine i've been in the mobile industry i've been in finance almost every industry i've been in there's somebody who said I don't want to work in this industry because it doesn't do enough good in society for me. And that says two things to me. It says, firstly, it matters to people. And there's already an incentive for companies to think about this stuff. But secondly, the fact that I've never worked anywhere that somebody hasn't objected to says either I have a very bad moral compass personally, or that... <laughs> 
whatever you do, whatever the purpose, there'll be somebody who says that purpose is not aligned with my values. And to flick it round, I was once offered a job and turned it down because of the company it was for. Um, but I think that's becoming more common. And I think it's becoming more common, not just as employees, but as consumers as well. Mm, yeah. And I, I think it's a really good point both of you made uh, uh, about contributing to society, but also to to, to not make the, the, the harm uh, to the society and to the employees. And, and I'm thinking that maybe the question is actually then based on that feedback turning around. So are the companies actually forced to, 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 to look into this uh, this other dimension. Uh, I'm also thinking about, you know, theories like uh, like uh, K3 Wars, the, the donut economy that actually, you know, you should focus on, on if you can, on how you're basically contributing to, to, to your local community, you know, what, what are you bringing to that? And actually that if, if you see that your business decision can, can harm the society or the community, you should not do that, right? So even if there is, let's say, the, 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 the value in, in uh, financial gains, if you're harming the harming the community or the environment, you you should basically not do that. And again, some companies start to 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 think that way. And and I guess the employees from the inside, if they are basically strong about their their values, how they care about the society and about the environment, they would also yeah say okay. Then if my company doesn't care for it, I will find a company that that is in line with with uh, my values. So so do you see this more and more as a kind of inner trend that, that the companies just have to consider those those new considerations uh, apart from the financial gains? Yeah, for me, one parallel I'll draw, because we're recording this in Pride Month, so one parallel I'll draw is companies putting rainbow logos up. Mm. And on the one hand, you can say, well, that's, you know, you can get into the debate of whether they're actually doing anything or rainbow washing or whatever. Mm. But on the other hand, if you look at it from an economic point of view, companies that don't now get asked why not. Mm. So it's become economically a good thing to display your support for LGBTQ plus people, whatever mm. you believe. And I think the same is, is true, that actually companies who don't have a sustainability policy, companies who don't have a section on their website that says, what do we do to not harm the environment? It's noted if you don't have one. Mm. And I think the next step will be more scrutiny to check that actually they're doing positive benefit. But we've come somewhere to the point that people will point out if there isn't one. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. And then doing something is better than, than doing nothing, right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I, I also want to connect it back to the money, mm. <laughs> that um, the changes that happen in society today, like that is one, like, you know, now voices, like personal voices and opinions are starting to affect like what businesses we want to buy products from, where we want to work, etc. But there's also this, if you look at the, the climate, uh, climate ag ag like changes that are happening and how like society and not like how uh, yeah, society and also companies need to adapt to this. There's also money in driving business ideas and solutions in the field that align with, you know, societal trends. So, for example, um, like green steel is becoming like green steel mining. The mining industry is big up north in Sweden. So now they have to rethink, like, how can we create green steel? Because it's money involved to do good things now they need to we don't have enough green power so then we need to talk to like the politicians how can we create opportunities for more green electricity so that we can power equipment create business um, like uh, environmentally friendly business solutions so 
if that you know when we push the narrative to not only be about like yes this feels feels good for my moral compass it's also a business value in investment mm. then i think that we will get like uh, the acceleration will be a lot faster mm. yeah i think it's a really really good point yeah and uh, exactly that that it's not either or right it's not money or doing good mm. things you, you need to find exactly. a, a model that's supporting both yeah yeah that's super good super good uh, discussions and uh, i know being aware of time i would just move on to 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 my second question yeah, well, to be honest we've still another 10 minutes left All right. So, so quick quiz. So, so thinking about the the, the future in in uh, let's say twenty years, what do you think would be a, a a job that you you haven't seen so far, or it was not popular so far? Ah, jobs that will exist that, that are not exist. popular today. Exactly. Exactly. New type of jobs. Based on what we were saying, like this, I thought this question was super hard. But mm. I I was thinking one thing maybe that like status will change from this like money making jobs like you know like stockbroker or you know where it's like money above everything to be more like ah oh, you're working in this local community initiative oh my god good for you great is that fulfilling your purpose that we will see more of that like that the status in things will change according to values will change for me I I was thinking. I was trying to find analogies of things that have changed in the world and how has that changed the jobs that we see. And thinking about tech companies specifically is we've seen more C-level roles become, you know, we've seen chief security officers never used to have those. We've seen chief data officers never used to have those. Will we see chief sustainability officers? Will we see, we couldn't call them chief equality officers because the, the acronym CEO is already taken. So we'd have to think of something else for them. But will we see the people who have responsibility for that side of the business so both inwardly looking after the people and outwardly looking after the community will they start to have a seat at the top table mm. and i think to come back to a case point from earlier there has to be a return on investment in that you know money is important but in a world where we see that there's economic benefits from focusing on those things maybe a chief sustainability officer could pay for themselves But this, I think, we are seeing. Like we have starting to see those at you know progressive companies. They start to have different seats at the C level table. So my question, I got into a discussion about this one time. My discussion was like, like how big does the table need to be? Because it seems like we have certain seats that are already spoken for and that are like non-negotiable, like chief technical officer, chief product officer, whereas these newer. They're like, oh, are, do you come in just that someone else has to leave the room? Like, how will we operate? Because that table is soon going to be very huge. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point as well. Yeah. And I think that the seats at the top table, for me, reflect the thing a company measures itself on. Mm. So you always have a CFO because companies measure themselves on money. You mm. always have a CTO if it's a tech company because they measure themselves on how technically advanced are we. If we think that companies will generally genuinely move away from those things as how they measure themselves, mm. maybe we would see some positions not at that top table anymore. Mm. You know, we we quite often have a companies call it different things, but you quite often have a sea of everything else at that table into which will report maybe you know legal and the people team and all these other things and maybe some of the things which are considered important enough to have their own space will actually start to combine together and we'll mm. just you know we're already seeing chief technical and product officers for instance so maybe 
things will shrink down. Because I take your point, you can't have 20 people at the top table because it's not a top table anymore. Mm. Thanks, guys. Thank you for your answers. Yeah, uh, Matthias. Uh, for, I, uh, I think from my perspective, I was also uh, thinking that that there, there might be some some completely new type of jobs, uh, maybe not on the top table as well. But but I was thinking how how much the technology is, is uh, coming through through to 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 all the companies, and actually there is all all the jobs now, even even fully uh, let's say manual, they they have the they have some more and more technology coming in. So I'm thinking more on the facilitation role that there could be uh, could be a role of uh, kind of a translator between uh, AI and and the, the whole technology and uh, the users, right? So so even if you have uh, maybe in healthcare or 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 uh, some some uh, some uh, areas that are not yet super super tech, uh, we might need to have uh, we might need to have those people that would actually explain how machines are working, how how people are working. And uh, they could help in the learning and in the adoption of of uh, the technology back to the society and back to the to the daily work. So so that that's when I think about my imagination that that could be the the new type of uh, role of uh, translator or facilitator between the technology and and uh, and the people. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Now I know everyone's jumped in. Uh, it's having a really nice flow and conversation. I love AK what you said about how you see people view things, not just the money side of things. It's just like hey, like say for example, you're a nurse, you help out the community, and you give back to the community. I think that status symbol will be really nice to see if it pans out, but people are always interested in the money side of things at the moment in time, so it'd be quite nice to see if that changes and be quite beneficial overall. But um, okay, uh, let's move on to the last but not least, um, Dan. Um, so to everyone else, it came with a main question and a side question as well. Um, so the first question that you brought, will we really see flexible working extend beyond the four day working week into value for people and they're contributing rather than their activity? i.e. will we ever truly move away from presentism and with your side question on that it will be will we ever reach a tech industry which has the same level of diversity as society as a whole or are we chasing a dream it two quite deep questions Dan do you want to <laughs> take it from there <laughs> yeah so the first one is about obviously we've seen this monumental shift in the past couple of years where everybody's now working from home well we've seen in the UK for instance there's a kind of government sponsored trial of a four-day week just kicking off um and I'm kind of interested how far this will go you know we've we've moved away in most places from the idea that people are measured by how long they spend at the desk or how long they spend online. But will we ever get to a point where we don't care what hours somebody's working, we just care what contribution they're bringing? And the reason for asking is that I've found, even in the most progressive of leaders, they say things like, well, we don't care where people work in the world. We don't care what hours during the day they work. But I've not heard many people say, we don't care how many hours a week they work. Mm. And do we think we'll ever get there? I would say that's the dream, uh, for sure, to, to, to get there. Uh, what it would require is is uh, the mindset where where indeed the number of hours doesn't care that much. And I think always in those kind of discussions, uh, th there are those voices bringing up that, you know, at once upon a time in the past, we agreed that 40 hours is the standard, right? And that was more adjusted to the, the setup in the factories to, to, to have shifts and, and uh, in line with the agreements with, with a type of unions back there or people's representatives back there. And this kind of continued to the world that has changed so much in, in so many other 
ways. So I think definitely now it's the time to, to, to rethink that if number of hours spent at work is really the, the, the good KPI and the good good way of, of uh, measuring uh, people. Um, and uh, and there should be definitely much more trust uh, that 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 uh, the engaged employee would would uh, bring the results in the way that they see uh, best. Um, and and what what the pandemic showed as well is not only that we can work from home, but we can we can basically uh, decide on our own what are the best uh, times of the day to, to 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 work. When are we the most efficient? Some people are more efficient in the morning, some more in the evening, etc. So, so I think it should all be driven by, you know, personal choice as well. Uh, when, when am I best performing? When am I the best suited to to do this task? And also uh, having people, yeah, more more happy and 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 more engaged is is the key. Uh, because the the people that that don't believe that they they should be doing certain tasks, they they would. Uh, also spend long hours trying to deliver on the on the results they did they don't believe in so i think there's much more you know different valuable measures than just the time spent in the office or or at home in front of your computer um and uh, and we should see that from from the leadership side the appreciation for the results independent of the time uh, spent uh, so, so that would that for me would be the, the success factor, and I really still hope that this uh, possible, and that we will move in this direction. I, I feel like I'm starting. I'm actually getting to start to explore the feeling of being at least like partly working based on, and I feel like I'm measured on outcome rather than time spent by on by my computer. So I'm doing an assignment at Spotify right now, and they are very like they want to embrace this like the opportunities that remote um is bringing so we can work from anywhere and we can like we work with teams over different time zones so this sort of implies that it's impossible for me to like my the people i interact with can't keep track of me because they i'm they're going to be asleep sometimes that i'm working and vice versa so it's like explicit that already we need to trust each other so i think it goes like two ways one is that it's like the expectation that I, as a manager, show, like put on my team and how we communicate around expectations. So here it's difficult for me to control the output of every person. Someone could be new, someone could be um, moving to a new team, someone could be like having something else going on at their home that week. So I think they're like managing, like how is the team expecting, what is the team expecting from each other is one of the measurements where we could say like, learn to gosh, this is actually okay. You're, you're doing good. So I think that we need to be better at peer um, evaluating or peer confirm, confirming that you have done enough. You don't need to sit these last hours just to feel like you did good on paper. But the, it also matters like to me, because I've, um, like I want to do a good job and some, and I'm very set on this like 40 hour work week. Did I do, did I deliver on my hours? So I have to practice my own evaluation on being like focused on what did I actually give people? What did I unblock? How did I bring improvements this week? And sometimes it's just by being present in a meeting that actually didn't require more from me than um, a sense of calmness. So I think that we need to start to be reflecting like in, on, on our own, but also together. Like, are you, do you feel you're delivering? If not, why? If you feel you're pushing yourself too hard, why? So I, 
Um, so, okay, I'm going to try to wrap up. What I'm saying is that I think we need to start to communicate a lot more about mutual expectations on what is good, bad, and excellent before we're going to start to see the real effect. Yeah, I think there's a very interesting perspective you talked about there about being online at the same time as other people. Because one of the one of the arguments I hear against hybrid working and against people working from home is that you get that buzz of everybody being in the office together. And obviously, if you said to the entire team, work where you want, when you want, you wouldn't get that buzz because statistically, you'd never get everybody together all at the same time. And I think, you know, I, I've been in... Within the last 10 years, I was in a job where, as a manager, I was told I had to have a word with one of my team because he was coming in at five past nine, not nine o'clock. And that's within the past 10 years. And I, one of my concerns is that there will always be some industries and some businesses who tie themselves to this presenteeism. There'll always be the ones where actually we require you to be in between this hour and that hour. And at the other end, there are ones we don't. And my concern is, will the, will the, will the places where there is this set working pattern hold the others back? Um, I'm kind of interested as well. Um, do we think we need different managers? Because if you've had a manager who's been used to, you know, know they check how people are doing by just noticing whether they're around or not do you think we need to train our managers more in how to measure outcomes yeah i think so i think it's not about just you know changing them to the new new set of people but it's more about working on the mindset and and actually ex explaining that yeah the outcome is much more important than this uh uh, tracking and and um, micromanagement uh, because because that's not the role of the manager these days to to track and to 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 follow up on whether my team is working. It's more to to inspire, to to set the goals, set the strategies, inspire the team, asking the team how can I help. Uh, so it's all all new type of uh, leadership that's ahead and and this uh, expectation on on. Uh, Following up on the outcomes and 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 uh, achievements rather than time controlling is just part of it, but it needs to come with much more structural cultural change uh, of the mindset. I would say. Yeah. I I so agree with that that we need need a different skill set in the managers in order to get like new results. But I also want to sort of question back to like question myself because I'm very like I'm interested in the field of like, how can we get the true potential out of remote working and what industries can benefit, what not, what are the sort of thresholds we need to get over to see the true effect. But then still like I'm in tech, it's been easy for me to work remotely because I, I only need a computer. But then it's like, there's so many industries that are, are not able to work remotely yet maybe I should say, but there are also tech companies choosing to be fully co-located. So I'm thinking they're like, they probably see something that I'm not seeing because I'm not like, I can't not know everything. So I would wanna keep an open mind to me being wrong right now, sitting here like praising, let people work wherever they want to, because what will I say in 10 years? Like you said, Dan, like things has changed fast, have changed fast. What will we see in new 10 years? Will we sit there and say like, yeah, remember that remote fly? Like mm -hmm. uh, that went fast. <laughs> and then we're sitting here again, like, you know, all together in the UK or something. Yeah. And I guess none of us, if we'd been having this discussion three years ago, yeah. none of us would have said, well, in two years time, the entire world's going to be remote. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
who knows what what could happen to kind of force us all back into the office i think the other the other thing i find myself questioning is some people work too much yeah. and it's it's like when companies give unlimited leave most companies also give minimum that you must take yeah and i wonder whether if we say to people work what hours you need to in order to do do your role should we have maximum as well should we say but don't do more than this mm. because some people's natural tendency might be to work too much and burn themselves out and the other the other argument i've heard from some leaders is well if that person is doing this much in 30 hours a week imagine how much they could do in 40 and it's sort of if you measure somebody in outcomes you go well that's great but if they work the same hours as everybody else they do so much more mm. and i think it comes back to the previous question for me which is it's still connected to money we still have this idea as a society that we're paying people for their time mm. and not for their contribution their intellect their ability to make something um you know if you come out of the tech industry if you had somebody making biscuits and charging a fair rate for them you'll always see the comments on the internet saying, how can you possibly charge a pound for a biscuit? Because I know it only takes you 30 seconds to make biscuits, when actually the 30 seconds has got nothing to do with it. There's mm. so much more that goes into making a biscuit. And I wonder whether we need to somehow make that shift. Mm. Yeah. No, I think that the, the obsession of, of time is is definitely negative. Uh, and and uh, that, yeah, there is so much time that, that people spend also educating themselves, taking a rest, spending time with the family. That's all contributing to, to the, the value of their work and the, the quality of their work. So uh, until maybe in some areas we, we can automate 100%, then the, the machines would not complain working 24-7. But as, as long as we, we rely on, on humans uh, doing the, the, the work, that part of of uh, everything outside of the the working hours uh, uh, and and who they are as people it's is the yeah. key so so i would say that if if anyone gets still fixated on the the time spent and and they want to just increase the time of productivity that means that they kind of missed <laughs> some some uh, big trends happening uh, in their workforce and and they are they are not seeing the reality around them. Yeah. So if we've got time, I'd just like to quickly touch on the side question because it's it's something I like to throw into every discussion I have. Yeah, We've talked about flexible working allows people to you know, be themselves and work around other things in their lives. And obviously, say obviously, for me, it's obvious. We would like to have a tech industry where it's open to anybody. Do we think that's actually achievable? Or do we think whatever we did to make tech open to everybody that always be more represented and underrepresented groups. I would say every every dream is worth chasing, uh, and and uh, the fact that maybe it will not be an easy way, or maybe it will never get there, should not stop us from improving every day. So so, again, thinking back five ten years back, you know, the topics of diversity and inclusion, and and um, you know, making many voices uh, being heard, it was not so popular. Right now, it's almost mainstream, as you were saying, with, with you know, putting the, the pride flag on, on every logo and, and things like that. So we, we see that the efforts are, are worth it. And, and this, this work by people on the, let's say, bottom or in, in the ground, educating themselves about the, 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 the value of diversity and, and inclusion and what it brings, etc. Eventually, it will flourish uh, and, and it will be becoming popular again between the management level and then the 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 the, the leadership level as well um so so every every change the you know needs some time and it needs uh, it needs to develop it needs to 
be like a, a revolution taking step uh, forward and then a step back revolution following counter revolution so 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 no change will happen over over a day uh, but it's it's always worth trying and we we should try to make this this environment that we are spending a lot of time in to 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 make it a better place and i also feel like this it, the goal or like the the like goal state it would also be when when maybe we're not measuring in in measuring the the status or the the situation in this is the majority group and this is the the majority minority group but rather like you know that we have come past that because it is now a representation so i also feel like you know maybe like almost like counter revolutions that there will be like you what is the perfect is it exact number like it's not exact numbers that would be a perfect scenario it would be like the openness so that every person wanting to be part of it can be part of it on equal measures so i i also feel like oh 100 like we should continue to strive for it and the the more that we have seen like things change like i'm a woman in tech and i mean there are like the change is slow but it's still happening what can i do to accelerate that change how can i be like i really think that representation matters and that's why it's important that people like speak up even like take that space even if you're uncomfortable at times but just to show that you know there are people coming after you like make their journey easier even yeah and yeah i don't know I just think it's like it's going to be I think it's going to be slow but I think that we should continue always. Yeah I completely agree it's, it's where we should strive for I guess that you know as every time I have the experience of putting myself out there as like an LGBTQ person who speaks and you know talks about inclusion I get so much slap back from people you know that the most innocent of comments on LinkedIn can get people coming back that I guess my reason for asking the question is I sometimes lose heart. I believe it's the right thing to do, but it's, you're right, it's slow. And frankly, it's really hard. Mm. Um, but I think as, as we said on a couple of the other topics before, any progress is good. Mm. Um, so I guess yeah. we have to keep fighting the good fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and we should use the technology as well to democratize the process. And, and uh, if there are you know, groups that were maybe excluded from, from education or access to technology, and now it's a bit easier. We we should support all the organizations and, and try to do it ourselves as well to 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 um, spread the knowledge, spread the education, and make make it possible for for people to kind of do this jump and 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 uh, and uh, and to 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 com continue to diversify from the perspective of of gender, nationalities, um, uh, views on the world. Uh, yeah, backgrounds, economical backgrounds as well. Um, yeah, we should never, we should never try, we should never stop to 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 try to make it better. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you happy with that answer, Dan? I am very happy with the answer. I'm <laughs> I'm very buoyed by everybody's optimism because sometimes I get pessimistic. <laughs> Okay, okay. It looks like we've finished that bang on an hour. Um, so we'll, what we'll do, we'll leave it there. I just want to say thanks so much uh, for joining the Evolution Exchange podcast. It's like a great opportunity to speak to AK, Dan, Matthews. Uh, I really enjoyed your insight on the topics that we brought today. Uh, so thanks so much. And also thank you listeners. Um, and we'll catch you next time on the Evolution Exchange podcast.